Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 62nd installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, 133 presentations uh, given by Pope John Paul II between the years 1979 and 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we're using. We have already devoted a series of reflections to the meaning of the words Christ spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, in which he exhorts his listeners to purity of heart and calls their attention even to the concupiscent look. We cannot forget these words of Christ when we consider the issue of the vast sphere of art, above all, when it has the character of a visual image or show, and likewise when one is dealing with the sphere of mass culture, which is so significant in our times, because it is connected with the broadcasting technology of audiovisual communication. We said last time that this sphere of man's activity is at times accused of pornovision, just as in the case of literature, the accusation is that of pornography. The one as well as the other takes place when the limit of shame or of personal sensibility is overstepped with regard to what is connected with the human body, with its nakedness. When, in a work of art by audiovisual media, one violates the body's right to intimacy in its masculinity and femininity, and in the final analysis, when one violates the intimate and constant order of the gift and of reciprocal self-giving, which is inscribed in femininity and masculinity across the whole structure of being human. This deep inscription, or rather incision, is decisive for the spousal meaning of the human body, that is, for the fundamental call it receives, that of forming the communion of persons and of participating in it. It is obvious that in works of art, or in the products of audiovisual artistic reproduction, this constant directedness toward the gift, that is, that deep inscription of the meaning of the human body, can be violated only in the intentional order of reproduction and representation. As we said before, here we are dealing with the human body as model or subject. Nevertheless, if the sense of shame and personal sensibility are offended in such cases, this happens because of their transfer into the dimension of social communication, and thus because of the fact that one turns into public property, as it were, what does and should strictly belong, in man's right feeling, to an interpersonal relation, what is bound, as we emphasized before, to the very communion of persons, and corresponds in its own realm to man's inner truth, and thus also to the integral truth about man. It is not possible to agree on this point with the representatives of so-called naturalism who appeal to the right to everything that is human in works of art and in the products of artistic reproduction, and who claim that in this way they act in the name of the realistic truth about man. It is precisely this truth about man, the whole truth about man, that requires us to consider the sense of the intimacy of the body and the consistency of the gift connected with the masculinity and femininity of the body itself. 
which reflects the mystery of man proper to the inner structure of the person. We must consider this truth about man also in the artistic order if we want to speak of a full realism. One notices here that the order proper to the communion of persons agrees profoundly with the vast and differentiated area of communication. As we said already in our earlier analyses, where we turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, see Theology of the Body 13 through 19, the human body in its nakedness, understood as a manifestation of the person and as the person's gift or sign of trust in and of giving to another person who is aware of the gift, who has chosen and decided to respond to it in an equally personal way, becomes the source of a particular interpersonal communication. As we said already, this is a particular communication in humanity itself. This interpersonal communication penetrates deeply into the system of communion, communio personarum, and at the same time grows from it and develops correctly in its context. Precisely because of the great value of the body in this system of interpersonal communion, making the body in its nakedness, which expresses precisely the element of the gift, the object or subject of a work of art, or an audiovisual reproduction, is a problem that is by nature not only aesthetic, but also ethical. In fact, that element of the gift is, so to speak, suspended in the dimension of an unknown reception and of an unforeseen response, and thereby it is in some way threatened in the intentional order, in the sense that it can become an anonymous object of appropriation, an object of abuse. This is why the integral truth about man constitutes in this matter the basis of the norm according to which the good or evil of determinate actions, of behavior, of morality, and situations is formed, precisely because of his body and his sex, femininity, masculinity. The truth about man, the truth about what is particularly personal and interior in him, creates precise limits that one must not overstep. These limits must be recognized and observed by the artist who makes the human body the model or subject of a work of art or audiovisual reproduction. Neither he nor others who carry responsibility in this field have the right to demand, propose, or allow other human beings whom they invite, exhort, or admit to seeing and looking at the image to violate these limits altogether with them or because of them. What in itself constitutes the content and deep personal value of the order of gift and of the mutual self-giving of the person in the image is as a subject uprooted from its own authentic substratum in order to become an object and what is more, in some way, an anonymous object by means of social communication. The whole problem of pornovision and of pornography, as it appears on the basis of what was said above, is not the effect of a puritanical mentality or of a narrow moralism, nor is it the product of a way of thinking burdened by Manichaeanism. 
what is at issue, is rather an extremely important and fundamental sphere of values to which man cannot remain indifferent because of the dignity of humanity, because of the personal character and eloquence of the human body. Through works of art and the activity of audiovisual media, this whole content and these values can be formed and deepened, but they can also be deformed and destroyed in man's heart. We can see that we can find ourselves continually within the orbit of the words Christ spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. The problems we are dealing with here should also be examined in the light of the words that speak about looking born from concupiscence, adultery committed in the heart. And so it seems that reflection about these problems, which are important for creating a climate favorable to education and chastity, is an indispensable appendix to all preceding analyses which ha we have devoted to this topic in the course of many Wednesday meetings. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 62nd Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. This catechesis, like the last one, is part of the appendix of Chapter 2, Considering the Body in Art, the Ethos of the Body in Art and Media. And as in the last Catechesis, Pope John Paul II addresses two things which are very terrible. One, pornography, and the other, what he calls pornovision. The Holy Father points out that pornography, with the grapha of graphy, is about literature, about writings, whereas so often we just use it as a catch-all phrase for those immodest things. And so then he uses what to me is a neologism, a new term, a new word, pornovision, so having to, having to do with a visual presentation of those immodest things. The Holy Father gives three criteria, perhaps very well aware that so often people will say, I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. The Holy Father gives three criteria so that we might recognize what is pornography or what is pornovision, and the criteria are these. When the limit of shame or of personal sensibility is overstepped with regard to what is connected to the human body, you have pornography, you have pornovision. When one violates the body's right to intimacy in its masculinity and femininity, one has pornography, pornovision. When one violates the intimate and constant order of the gift and of reciprocal self-giving, one has pornography, pornovision. So let's look at those three criteria for this sad reality so we know what to avoid or we know what to repent, as the case might be. This is all a part of the Theology of the Body, Chapter 1. Christ recalls our attention to the beginning, how God created us male and female, the good creation, the original innocence, the original unity of the couple, the indissolubility of holy marriage. The second chapter, Christ calling us to purity of heart, not only to not commit adultery, but also not to have a disordered desire in our hearts, not to look upon the other with that disordered vision. And pornovision is a disordered gaze upon the other. 
These three criteria presuppose all the analyses which have proceeded. When the limit of shame, and original shame is also a part of that recalling the beginning. Original shame enters into the world with original sin. And the tendency to sin, concupiscence, is itself a fruit of original sin. To transgress the limit of shame is likewise a fruit of original sin, a fruit of concupiscence. When the limit of shame or of personal sensibility, so we should be sensible. We should know what is right and wrong. This is the innate conscience. Try as we might, we can try to deaden the voice of conscience, the understanding of right reason, but it can never be entirely erased. When the limit of shame or of personal sensibility is overstepped with regard to what is connected to the human body, it's not a sin to take a picture, to paint a painting, to sculpt the face of another. But when other parts... Other bodily organs are depicted or seen. Be careful. When one violates the body's right to intimacy in its masculinity and femininity, this is pornovision, pornography. The body has its rights. The person has rights. But here the Holy Father is saying the body has rights because the body expresses the person. When one violates the intimate and constant order of the gift and of reciprocal self-giving, the gift is to be personal. And when pornovision is created and distributed, sold, it's impersonal. You've never met those people. I've never met those people. Yet we see them like their husband or wife sees them. That is a violation of the intimate and constant order of the gift and of the reciprocal self-giving. What is it that you give to those people depicted in the pornovision? There's no reciprocity there. Oh, well, you paid $5, you paid $20 to see this. Well, do they get that $20? And is that something which should be sold? All sorts of things enter into this equation. The Lord calls us to blessed purity of heart. The Holy Father continues, The human body, in its nakedness, manifests the person, and the person's gift or sign of trust in and of giving to another person who is aware of the gift, has chosen and decided to respond to it in an equally personal way, becomes a source of a particular interpersonal communication. Three things here. Aware of the gift. Husbands and wives, they know each other. They give themselves to each other. I take you to be my husband. I take you to be my wife. The gift is known. The gift is exchanged. The gift is received. When the husband and wife make their nuptial embrace, they're aware of the gift. Pornovision, it is not the case. The people depicted could be dead already. You could die watching it, and they won't know, and they won't care aware of the gift, has chosen and decided to respond to it in an equally personal way, not anonymous, not unknown, but deeply related, personally related. This allows for interpersonal communication, to look into each other's eyes, to hear each other's voice, not in an anonymous way. As a work of art or an audiovisual reproduction, not only technology is a concern, the lighting, the material, the format, but also the aesthetics. Is this beautiful? That's a concern. 
but so too the ethical aspect. Is this right? Is it good? Is it true? Should this be done? Not only the technical aspects, are we going to use black and white or color film? Are we going to use canvas or paint on wood? Are we going to use a digital camera or the other sorts? Those are technical questions, which are different, although not unrelated to the aesthetic question. How is this beautiful? Can this be beautiful? But also the ethical question. This ethical question is a part of the way the human body is depicted in media and art because the human body is a part of the human being. And human beings are ethical, moral agents with rights and responsibilities. Pope John Paul II points out that pornography and the porno vision allows for anonymous appropriation. People who are reading that stuff, people who are watching that stuff, are unknown to the people depicted in that stuff. And so it's dehumanizing in a sense. It's one thing for an actor or an actress to be portraying Lady Macbeth, Julius Caesar, when their scenes they depict are not immodest, immoral, no harm, no foul. But when they transgress or violate the right of the body to intimacy in its masculinity or femininity, when they transgress or violate the limit of personal sensibility or shame, then the wicked sort of anonymous appropriation taking possession occurs. Then the so-called artistic work becomes an object of abuse, whereby the human body is abused at least intentionally, as are those depicted at least intentionally abused, even as the one who is anonymously appropriating, anonymously possessing the object, abusing themselves. Twice in this 62nd Catechesis, Pope John Paul II speaks about the truth. He speaks about the integral truth about man, that's the whole truth, I'm not just my body, I'm not just my soul, I'm not just a brute animal, I'm a rational being, I am made in the image and likeness of God, I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. These are integral truths about the human being, the human person. The integral truth about man constitutes, makes up, establishes, the basis, the foundation, of the norm according to which the good or evil of a determinate action of behavior, of morality, and situations formed. So if we know the reality of man, we can judge the actions of man. We can judge the behavior of man. We can judge the morality of man, the situations we find ourselves in. But if we don't know who we are or to whom we belong, if there is no truth, then whatever actions, whatever behavior, whatever morality, who cares? But we know that the truth sets us free. We have it on good authority. Off the lips of Jesus Christ and the Holy Gospel, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Who is the way, the truth, and the life? The Lord himself. A man among men who came to teach us not only about God, but about ourselves. That is the sure and certain teaching of the Second Vatican Council's pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world, Gaudium et Spes 22 which was a favorite passage of our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II. 
To know the integral truth about man constitutes the basis of the norm according to which the good or evil of determinate actions, of behavior, of morality, and situations is formed. We can know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And the truth is a person, Jesus Christ. The truth about man creates precise limits that one must not overstep. So often people are very happy to say, oh, the church does not impose her faith. No, she doesn't. She accepts religious liberty. But when she speaks about human nature, she does so not only with the aid of divine revelation and the assistance of the Holy Spirit, but also in light of human nature rationally knowable. The truth about man, so much of the truth about man, is knowable just by our own natural abilities. The virtue of chastity is not a theological virtue, it's a natural virtue. The vice of lust, you don't need the Bible to know about that. Pornography and pornovision, they are lustful activities, lustful endeavors. To reject them, to create a climate favorable to the education in chastity, this is virtuous. This is acting in accord with our nature. You don't have to have read the Holy Scripture or your catechism to know those things. Now, those things are reinforced in sacred scripture and in the sure and certain teaching of Mother Church. But when the Church is saying to us, through Pope John Paul II, the truth about man creates precise limits that one must not overstep, this is true not only in regards to the sexual morality, to the theology of the body, but how about to the blessed peacemakers, thou shalt not kill, wanton violence done to another, thou shalt not steal, respect of others' property, Thou shalt not bear false witness. These are all limits which we are not to overstep. This is part of the truth of our nature, truth of ourselves. The truth about man creates precise limits that one must not overstep. When one oversteps these precise limits, one sins. One brings shame and dishonor upon oneself and one situation. One is in greater need of God's mercy, forgiveness redemption. Pope John Paul II continues this 62nd catechesis, man and woman, he created them a theology of the body, by drawing our attention to the fact that no one has a right to A, demand, B, propose, C, or allow another human being whom they A, invite, B, exhort, C, or admit to seeing and looking at the image of the naked human body, to violate these images with them or because of them. So first the Holy Father tells us there are limits one must not pass, and then he spells them out even further. No one has a right to demand this. It's an irrational demand. It's an unreasonable demand request. It is also not a worthwhile proposition. No one has a right to propose this. Oh, I won't demand it. I just asked. I proposed. And thirdly, no one has a right to allow. Don't do that. It's okay to say that. Don't do that. Don't take your clothes off in front of the camera to make a pornovision film. Don't take your clothes off in front of the camera to have your picture taken for distribution and those magazines. No one has a right to demand, to propose, to allow another human being whom they invite, exhort, or admit. Oh, please do that. That's your invitation. Exhort. You better do that or admit. Well, 
I'll let you do it if you want to. No one has a right to demand, propose, or allow another human being whom they invite, exhort, or admit to seeing and looking at the image of the naked human body to violate these images with them or because of them. So this even reminds us that while pornography, porn vision are not to be sought out, neither are husbands and wives to use those things, even if the depictions are of themselves, if used in a way which is against chastity, which is against modesty, which is against purity. Remember, this is the appendix to chapter 2, where Christ the Lord calls us to purity of heart. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say, do not even look with lust upon the other. When Pope John Paul II explicates this even further on, there was quite an uproar in certain parts of the world. For he warned that even a husband and wife could look with lust upon each other and thereby commit adultery in the heart even though they're married. The bar is very high. But it is not unsurmountable because of God's grace. The grace won by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Grace given us in holy baptism and deepened in all the other sacraments, especially in this regard, holy marriage. Pope John Paul II, again, concludes this 62nd Catechesis where he began speaking about pornovision, pornography. And he gives three negations and one affirmation. The three negations are as follows. He says what he says, not because of a puritanical mentality, not because of a narrow moralism, not because of a Manichaean way of thinking. These are the three negations why he is speaking about what he is speaking about. Pope John Paul II was not a Puritan. He was not a narrow moralist. He was not a Manichaean. No, no, no. None of those. Neither am I. The reason why Pope John Paul II gave these 133 addresses, wrote this magnum opus, Man and Woman, he created them a theology of the body, was because of the dignity of the human body and the value of the human body as a manifestation of the person, because he was answering the call of Pope Paul VI to do what he could to create a climate favorable to education and chastity, something he had been doing for years as a priest as a bishop in Krakow, and then as the bishop of Rome. So you who are listening, and I who am speaking, we are to take all these things to heart. We're not to become a bunch of Puritans. Husbands and wives should make love. It is part of the blessing of holy marriage, open to children. It is not because of a spirit of narrow moralism. Pleasure is part of the nuptial embrace and improper pleasure for married couples, so long as they enter into that embrace with the right intentions and in the right way. We are not Manichaeans. We are not saying the body is bad, only the spirit, the soul is good. We're not saying there are two creators, one of material things, one of spiritual things. None of that. Pope John Paul II is very anxious, very concerned, not only in this catechesis, but throughout his nearly 27 years of pontificate and nearly 50 years of episcopate, that the truth be known. The integral truth, the whole truth about man, which Christ the Lord came to reveal, God to us and us to ourselves. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, Jesus says. And we beheld the Lord on Good Friday, gazing upon the cross. And we have met him in the garden. He cried out to Mary Magdalene, 
Mary, she said, Rabboni, teacher, do not cling to me, not because the body is bad, but because he had not yet ascended to my father and to your father. That's what Jesus said. And Pope John Paul II, in this second chapter of his great work, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, focuses our attention on the words of Jesus Christ, his appeal to the beginning, his appeal to the human heart. And even in this appendix of chapter 2, Jesus speaks to us about the ethos of the body in art and media because he does not want us to look with a disordered desire, with a lustful desire upon another, lest we commit adultery in our hearts. So let us be sure that we are pure of heart. Let us do what we can to create a climate favorable to education and chastity. Let us beg God's grace for each other, that we might correspond to God's holy will for us in the here and now, that we might have a blessed hereafter. Until next time, God bless you.